0: Hey, this is Web3Talks. The rule of this podcast is simple. We only talk with people who have hands-on Web3 building experience. So if you are a hacker, entrepreneur, or investor, you can get inspired by their stories, lessons, and fuck-ups. My name is Mac, and I'm hosting this pod. If you want to stay in touch, go to twitter.com slash web 3 click the link in the pinned tweet and join our Discord community. Let's go. So today's guest is Joseph, founder of Pwn. And Pwn is an interesting project because it's like a decentralized pawn shop. But instead of bringing your TV and toaster to get money, you can bring your ERC20 tokens like Ethereum or Polygon or Chainlink. And you can bring your NFTs like board apes, you know, Azukis or crypto dickbats if that's your thing. Uh, So, uh, the interesting thing is that you can bundle them together. So, we have many NFT lending platforms, maybe not many, but a few. But here you can bundle together your tokens like ETH and your NFTs. So, you can say, okay, I have two apes and 10 ETH and I want to get a loan. For that, which which is a pretty interesting solution. So, Joseph, like, what made you start
1: pawn Yeah. Uh, first of all, thank you, Mathieu, for the invitation to to join the podcast. Always happy to talk about our journey, and then obviously learn from other podcasts as well, uh, from other episodes, what, what our people are building on. So, yeah, there there is a lot that led me to to pawn Actually, there's like actually multiple viewpoints. So, if this gets too confusing, <laughs> and then stop me. Yeah, essentially. I've been in the ecosystem for quite some time. Uh, I started as uh, as meetup organizer I, and then I dropped everything. I dropped my previous company and just dived into crypto and it just kind of devoured me. And so some people say they fell down a rabbit hole, but just turned me into, I would say, like a crypto native, someone who believes, uh, someone who pay, uses a tech stack and believes in it in, a, in the long run. So it kind of like goes beyond just like investments and trading, but... Honestly, like the best trading strategy for me would be to not touch my crypto ever. I <laughs> just like don't get exposure to it uh, at all. Being a crypto native, being someone who is like deeply rooted in the ecosystem through various various projects and initiatives. Like I'm 30 now, uh, being a millennial, I just like decided this is the future for me. And this is, this is something I want to keep my exposure to. So... I guess there were multiple things that led me to it. Like first, like being a being a crypto native and actually getting into the age of maybe being an adult and like getting a roof uh, over my head. I went to a bank a couple of years ago and I wanted to get a mortgage. Like at the time, I was working at the Ethereum Foundation, and my salary was actually paid in ETH. So it wasn't denominated in ETH, but just like paid in crypto because I wanted to live the crypto native way, right? And I w- went to the bank with my contract and the track of my transactions when I'm, my salary is paid out, because I figured like, this is what these guys will want to see. And the guy at the bank started laughing at me. It was like, this is not real money. Like if you're not getting any mortgage, like you don't have anything. I was like, no, I, <laughs> I have these assets. I mean, even though like a bunch of people don't recognize them, this is the future. Uh, this is not even just the future It's the it's, it's now like, this is happening right now. There's a whole economy around it. And obviously, I have this contract saying how much I'm earning. Where's is the issue? Well, that basically stopped there, and for for over like two years, I actually started started like faking I have a failed income. So I started sending money into uh, the bank account just to create this like track record of actually, hey, I'm getting paid. And eventually, I like, decided even to turn my salary into into fiat, which is you know, it's a hard point. But took me roughly two years to attempt it again went To the branch office, I was like, Hey, all right, so here, here I have the contract, here I have proof that I'm getting into the bank account. Can I get a mortgage now? And they we're like, Yeah, sure. So, yeah, here's the well, based on your income, this is how much you can get. This is our KYC form. And since the since like you know, back in the day and then the two years after, there was a new field, there was a new checkbox in the form, which basically said, Are you anyhow exposed to cryptocurrencies? Are you a trader? Do you hold cryptocurrencies? And that point, I was like, no shit, I work for the Ethereum Foundation. Of course, I'm exposed to cryptocurrencies. This is, this is my life. You know. This is, what, this is what I live. And that was it. That's the end of the story of my mortgage. And I was kind of upset, right? Because like, I'm, I'm not just like slacking and wasting my life. I'm actually working in a space. I, I do a lot of stuff. And now, yet, I would be denied of actually accessing the instrument that 80% of the market out there is using to finance their real estate purchases. And something flipped in me because I was like, hey, we have this entire DeFi we have this like self-sufficient ecosystem already. Like we can just build a solution for that ourselves. We can just have mortgages that are backed by digital assets and borrow money from other, you know, crypto degens, crypto native people that actually see the value in this. Like we don't need these intermediaries to tell us like what's acceptable and what's not. As long as there is a market, like we should be able to do this. And like now, you know, you you can do exactly this. You can collateralize like real estate, you can collateralize, stocks can collateralize like entire stock portfolios in bonds and um, art traditional art it's just like you wouldn't be able to do it in crypto or at least like you were able to do it with crypto to some extent right and now i obviously would have a chance to just like go to maker or ave or just turn my entire portfolio into one token get a loan against that and then just like run off with that but then there is a huge exposure for you actually to getting liquidated during like a one tiny price spike and it happened to me and like there was i don't know 2020 uh, the march or something during one of these one of these crashes the only reason i didn't get liquidated was the maker oracle didn't work at the, at the time like properly because the uh, the chain was uh, was stacked otherwise i would be <laughs> i would be out but yeah you know like these things kind of led me into trying to figure out how we can build something that's like long lasting how we can now take the ecosystem from today's standpoint realizing that they are there is an actual market. I mean, there is a crypto native market and there is a there is an economy of uh, projects that make enough revenue in fees, people being paid in crypto. And then again, like using these components, using these projects and infrastructure that could get us to a point where well, crypto just won't be this one large, like 24-7 casino just for leverage and speculation, but where we can actually, can make back to the gambling terminology, make bets that are, Lasting that, like that, have actually this viewpoint of like five, 10, 15, maybe even like thirty years, and that's why that's why I essentially started working on this generalized like protocol where you can use anything as collateral, and this is our ultimate like holy grail. Like we want to enable crypto natives never have to sell their crypto, never have to lose exposure to those assets of the future in order to get access to the regular financial instruments that are available to the traditional finance. So this is the motivation, kind of the, this is maybe the high level motivation, but there's there's more to it. There is like the fact that I, it's it's just a combination of factors, right? The second factor was that I wanted to get back into coding. So I wrote this like side project with this mindset, which was basically the first version of Pawn was like the Hack Money Hackathon in 2020. The contracts were called Proctown because, well, there was the debate around that time. And also the last factor is basically that I wanted to become a founder again. I wanted to, I wanted to build something contributing to the ecosystem in my unique way. And one of the last things that I did at the Ethereum Foundation was this fundraiser for clients, for, for execution clients, where I was essentially coming to the other like DeFi protocols and players in the space, fundraising for them, where like EF would match the funds and we would be able to make larger grants through client teams. And like finally that that got picked up and there is a there is like multiple initiatives in the ecosystem right now but it was again like one of the last things before I finally left, drove me into well, I actually want to build something, I want to build a treasury, crypto native treasury, which recognizes the fact that this entire ecosystem and this entire stack is built on these like on, on this baseline infrastructure. And this is also my public commitment to the community that once Pond gets you to the point where it generates enough revenue and it starts maintaining a treasury it will contribute back to client development and to some baseline infrastructure on its own. So I guess the combination of the three.
0: Yeah, so it's kind of like you said, it turned out that the system that you live in, like the crypto system was not compatible with the non-crypto system. And you said, okay, like let's, we don't like these tools that they have, these banks and mortgage, so let's build something ourselves, like we don't need them. And I really liked it because, like, you don't want to waste time convincing them. You can just build something for yourself and people like you. And you said one interesting thing about liquidations because on a pawn there are no liquidations. So, like, if I, you know, I have my board ape, I put it as a collateral. I take one hundred k, and the floor price of board ape goes down to fifty k. I don't get liquidated if I pay back my loan. Everything is okay. So I'm wondering, like, why have you made this kind of decision? Because, like, I was thinking that it kind of puts more risk on a person that lends money. Because, you know, okay, someone doesn't pay me back. I get the A, but it's now worth, like, 50% of the value. So so I'm wondering, like, why have you made this kind of decision?
1: Yeah, so it so kind of, like, links back to what we are ultimately building, right? Like, you... you introduce pawn as a as this like digital pawn for tokens, which is the right description. This is what it is now. But what we are trying to build in the wrong run is something more comprehensive. Even though there are new no liquidations like in pawn like right now, thanks to like the architecture principles that we are taking, like you can add those later. But ultimately and there are cases where like liquidations actually make sense, like, it should be to the discretion of the user to actually say like if that's if that's acceptable or not. But again, the base motivation in this case comes from like we kind of want to build a different product. There is a ton of there is a ton of like traditional DeFi lending where the lenders get all of the protection, and therefore, I mean, you get like crazier deals as well. But we wanted to bring a, a type of a product to the crypto native market, which. Kind of protects the borrowers as well, and and kind of like sets the way people are thinking about borrowing and lending in the space. Because currently, because the, the lenders get all of those protections, like their reasoning is essentially just like let me let me put my money into this pool, and this is some like API that's like out there. There's a market API. This is what I get, and I'm fine with that. In our case, the rational in becoming a lender in pawn like is closer to like pricing an option even though you don't need to go as far. But you basically make a bet on, well, this is the duration of the loan. This is fixed. And I'm setting my own risk and reward and potential reward on how do I want to price this. So I I will only obviously accept collateral that I believe will still be valuable after the expiration. And I'll set the loan to value as basically the minimum where I feel I'll be comfortable with the price of the collateral dropping. i I'll adjust the APY. I'll adjust the interest that I'm asking for according to that. There is obviously, there's no liquidation, there is no way for, for you currently to get like 100% certainty, but this will also push you into a proposal that will establish like more rational pricing of the item. So it's, it's, just, a, it's just a different mindset that you, you need to take here. Also, there are, there are different scenarios because we build this like open protocol with a lot of optionality. There are, diff- different, there are different scenarios where like you could be even the potential buyer of the assets, let's say a collector of an NFT, could be like member of the community setting like better terms for other community members. You could even include things like reputation to the picture where you know the person who are borrowing to where you're lending to. Therefore, you will get them better terms because like even if you lose money on that, you still have some some possibility of appeal or you just simply trust the person. And now like pawn is part of the tooling for enabling these types of transactions. So and even though currently we are seeing like. Loan to value around like thirty forty percent, which is quite low compared to other like over collateralized loans in DeFi. But it's also often the only way, like you can actually use that as collateral. This is now this is today's market, right? When you look at things like stocks or these like stock portfolios, you'll you'll see something like seventy to ninety percent loan to value these days. And I think like this is ultimately where we're moving with digital assets as well. It will just take some time for us to get there. So today it's more risky. But again, our viewpoint here is long-term. We, we are sure the pricing methods will improve, the certainty around certain assets will improve, and Spalpong will already be here once these like, markets catch up.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, if one day you want people to you know, get a loan like Mortgage for 20 years, they'd better not get liquidated when the housing market goes down because they will lose their house. If I take the step back, it makes perfect sense that you go this way. And I'm wondering because, you know, I obviously tried Spawn because I try every product that we cover here. So I'm wondering, like, how do you deal with the fact that, you know, when people can post their offers, without any gas fees because you pay gas fee only when someone accepts the offer. How do you deal with, uh, you know, people trying to spam or like trolling your tool? Because it it might be, you know, one one of the problems that arise from this openness.
1: Yeah, you're right. And this is ultimately, I mean, we obviously it's an iterative process. So we build the product on the go and we obviously spot it. There is a lot of even like trash collateral or like just irrational asks and we are Overall, like we are moving more towards like better filtered setup where you'll be able to self-curate what type of collateral and what, what type of asks you are exposed to as a lender. So currently we started with like some very basic filtering. We'll add like collection-based filtering. We'll also, given that we started aggregating pricing data for the different sets of collateral, you'll be able to to filter things out basically based on the market sentiment around them, based on like even price. So you'll be able to find like deals in your price group. So I mean obviously the question of like general spam, the platform itself is obviously like a traditional architecture. So currently you have to like sign not like every offer, but sign for like key that will enable you to post these things. Then if you if you decide to just like post post like multiple prompts, I guess at some point we'll like rate limit just in case you wanted to DDoS the, the system. But it's a that's a different type of question. But in the new version of how these loans are categorized, it shouldn't matter because like you won't see Individual loan offers, but you'll you'll just basically see asset pages where, as a lender, you will just have ticks on those assets where there is a want. You know, there is a desire to actually borrow against those assets. But ultimately, the answer is filtering.
0: Yeah. So for listeners who haven't seen Pwn, because Pone is a pretty niche project, so you might have not seen it yet. But you just like. For example, I have my board Ape and I say, okay, I want 100K, I can repay it in 30 days. And people give me offers. So they say, okay, I want 2% yield or I want 4% yield. And someone might say, okay, I want 4%, but I want it repaid in 60 days. So you as a person that wants to borrow money has more options, which is pretty cool.
1: There's, there's also one new component which is allowed thanks to the really upgrade to the protocol layer, which is the contracts part, which we made. Which is, you as a lender or a potential lender, you can make offers against collateral which basically didn't even touch the, the platform yet. So you can basically say, hey, I would be willing to lend against this particular collection, but I don't, want any, I don't know anyone who, who has these assets. But once you post the offer, the likelihood of someone actually showing up is higher because then they can just like browse and basically get a promise like, "Hey, well, you have this asset. Someone who is willing to is willing to lend against it, so you might also well consider getting a loan in case you
0: wanted some extra liquidity." Just a short break to remind you that if you like this podcast, please don't hesitate to subscribe and give it a five star review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or whatever platform you use. Thanks a lot. So you know, let, let's talk about the underlying tech because you are able to cover ERC twenty, ERC seven two one, ERC one one five five tokens. So how have you designed the smart contract to you know make it efficient when it comes to operating with these tokens?
1: Yeah. So as well as anything, it was like an iterative process. So essentially, I wrote this like first version, basically targeting like seven twenty ones, and I was like, hey, maybe. Five to two make sense and then as I was I was rewriting the contract I was like hey let's let's just generalize it so I ended up writing this multi token library which is just a wrapper around the, the basic functions that are needed in the protocol on uh, the, these like major token standards there's also an option to just upgrade it and like add new token standards to it and then in every component and every piece of tooling that Pawn uses we basically use this multi token library so by default, then anytime we use a multi-token, you can use any uh, of these of these token standards in a protocol.
0: Oh, okay. Is this library like public? I, I guess
1: it's public because every piece of smart contract that we developed so far, except of the pawn Safe, which we are first getting out of it before we release the code base, is op- open source. And the, obviously the, the safe will also be once it's out of it you can just go to to our GitHub. And if you go to pondxyz there's a a link to GitHub in the footer, I think. And you can read all of these protocols, like uh, all of the contracts, all are documented and all should have like their test scenario. So so, so. we have to actually people like look into those and, and give us some feedback.
0: Okay, and what are the biggest technical challenges so far?
1: So I guess like there's coming from the traditional point of view, just the simple like web app, it's like if you actually want to build the entire architecture, like hundred percent crypto native, it's a lot of time and effort to like set up all of the nodes, having like uh, IPFS nodes running, having you know having all of the blockchain sing and so on. Well, obviously, as ninety five percent of our projects, we we are taking shortcuts in terms of like using like third party providers of some of these. We are dedicated to switch that infrastructure at the point where we actually have the resources to do so. So we are running our own Ethereum node at least, but yeah, sure, we, we need to do much more. I mean, we basically want to run a node or even multiple nodes for every single piece of the decentralized architecture that we are using. And this comes with this comes with all of the technological trade-offs, such as like, yeah, well, it's nice to run these things, but there is also, uh, there is also loading times and you have to create a lot of caches if you want the data to be loaded and then like synchronize them and so on. So that's, that's kind of the traditional traditional part. Or I guess the smart contract part. It's, I would I would say it's actually like getting things like audited and getting the conviction that like the thing is ready to ready to fly. Obviously, audits are super pricey in the ecosystem. They take time. Like everybody has their hands filled with work, so it's hard to find auditors with free capacity or auditors that wouldn't charge you like an, uh, you know like a kidney or something for their audit. So yeah, I guess that's uh, that's kind of the challenging part on on the side of the contracts. Otherwise, like yeah, I mean, things are challenging, but it's the funny part, right? It's like creating a contract which is efficient and like as optimized. It's 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 a nice challenge to have. <laughs>
0: yeah, 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 it's it's like this maths challenge where you have to you know make this like very clean mathematical proof or something like that. It it gives a lot of satisfaction. So I'm wondering because you are still like quite. Under the radar project, but you already have some users and they're like, I don't know, over a thousand loans so far that I've seen on the platform. So I'm wondering, like, how have you acquired your first users and who have you focused on, borrowers or lenders?
1: So the beta protocol is live basically since June. And the first users, I mean, the first users were friends, essentially, like people that we talked to before, people that we gathered feedback from that we pitched on to and basically use their knowledge and, and kind of desires in building the protocol. And those were also the first people that we approached and basically said, Hey, it's live. Like, if you want to go try it, we'll be happy for more feedback. And they gave, gave us some initial users. So there are definitely some users that are kind of like value aligned with us, are you know, like our angels or advisors. And obviously that's like not super scalable. So that's, uh, that was the first step to get things moving. Ultimately We built an open protocol without like whitelists and we know it's kind of like counterintuitive in the sense of the majority of the startups is always told like focus on one niche and one market and just like dominate that. Our approach is slightly different in the sense that this is like a super quickly evolving industry. We don't want to be, you know, just like a one hit project, like let's say focus on NFTs. And we we basically our approach is built build optionality, build a lot of optionality and enable us to discover like super early markets and be there for these early users. And that's why that's why again, like we, we thought like building this in a peer to peer manner is fine. Uh, building this as open as possible, even for the cost of enabling spam is fine. Because once these new communities emerge, like we can be there for them, we can serve them from the day one. And I believe that's that's a strategy what we should be taking because like in a lot of cases, we don't know what the assets of the future will be, like what what particle community, like how those assets will behave. Our bet is essentially, well, these will in somehow, some way it will be, token, it will be like standardized tokens. And we don't know who those communities or users will be. So we basically now don't want to make any of these bets and just like remain open and talk to these communities. And then maybe start building product-specific features for these niche markets once we have a proven thesis that, well, this actually makes a lot of sense. Practically, then, what this means and what we do now is we focus on GameFi and DeFi as like two cohorts. We don't focus all that much on like NFT collect- collectibles in the sense of like Bluetooth bars and this kind of, kind of stuff. Well, A, there are other players doing that, and we are happy that they do. B, it's, it's also not as interesting really because like those are very basic cases of like you hold an NFT and that's it. We are focused on like the, the more advanced cases of well yeah you want to also use it productively in some way. You want to create like a comprehensive business model even around like each loan. So yeah like these days we are basically trying to talk to communities, go to community meetups, organize our own, attend like Twitter spaces, explain it to the various communities. We had a super nice traction and super nice response from the Abigachi community lately. There's basically completely organic growth and we don't even have a clue. And it's, uh, that's ultimately what we are after. Like we don't want to know the users, like we just <laughs> want to have it there and literally be this like another primitive in the DeFi space, another piece of the tooling that people can build DeFi strategies around.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I really like the, this comment that you make. keeping this open and giving optionality kind of, it's kind of like sets the space for different users and they can pull your product in different directions. So it's like casting a very wide net and seeing where the fish are. And when you see the fish, you'll see, okay, here's the fish, so let's focus on this use case or, or that use case. And this GameFi really made me think because many people think, yeah, I will just like... I have board ape, I will get some money to just spend on my groceries or and so on. But for me, the really interesting case is like you play a game like you know, World of Warcraft, and you have like a magic sword, and you have some gold in this game, and you can actually like land put this as a collateral and just have real-life money. And this is something really interesting and something very fresh, and something that really plays into the strengths of nfts because you cannot do it in a closed system where you know it's in blizzard's database so i i really really like this use case and it, and it's really inspiring
1: yeah and, uh, i mean this is again like that's that's kind of one of the components of gamefi even for this particular use case we that's why we essentially developed the pawn safe extension because in the traditional sense, like the, the collateral asset would have to be locked in an escrow. What we developed on the, on the safe side is that you can now basically just generate this, uh, we call it an ATR, asset transfer right, and then use that transfer right as collateral. But from a perspective of the game, you're still in possession of the item. You're still the, the owner and you can use it in a game. You can, even if, if, there's, if there's like outside of the gaming or like if it's a DAO token, okay, you can still use it to vote. And whatever you do can then kind of make you make your revenue to actually be able to repay it. This is just the basically the tooling component. The product side of this is the DeFi mortgage that we are going to release in Q1 in, in a beta mode, which will allow you to basically purchase assets that you don't have the full purchase price for and then use those productively and then repay them.
0: Could you expand on that? Because it sounds interesting.
1: Yeah. So essentially, again, like taking the iterative approach from Pawn, like currently, if you have an existing offer on Pawn, you, if you're the asset owner, uh, you can just obviously like execute it and take a loan against the asset. But if you're a potential buyer of the item, and let's say the item is even on sale as like buy now on uh, Luxray or Opens here somewhere, what you can do today, and you would have to use like manually, but you'll add it as, a, as one of the product components, is that we'll allow you to take the ex- existing offer on Pawn, take like a deposit of money, which is basically the top up of the purchase price, go and purchase the asset, and then lock it immediately as collateral in PawnSafe, which is essentially what a mortgage, what a real estate mortgage does. just in a traditional world, here, this is going to be one single transaction with like the automated
0: execution. Sounds really interesting. And how do you make it possible technically?
1: I mean, it's, it's essentially just like taking one extra step when you have the existing loan offer on pawn. So you basically, th- those offers are signed against collateral, not against the user. I mean, there's an option to sign it against a user as well, unless that's the case. Uh, if, you, if you have like a liquid asset that uh, you already have lenders for, you basically just like combine. Well, you take the offer, which is a signed blob. You throw it into like in this automation wrapper, which then basically executes the offer, knowing that this like part of the wrapper takes like the money from the offer and your money as the like deposit money, purchases the asset at the full price, locks it in this on uh, ACR model, and gives the loan token to the lender. That's just like two extra steps on top of what's happening now in one execution call.
0: I I really like this idea because it's like the second thing that we talked about here that really plays into strengths of crypto, you know, very crypto native thinking. Uh, (laughs) So what has been the most interesting collaterals that you have seen so far on Pawn?
1: Lately, certainly it's so I mean, I was like thrilled when the Nation Tree DAO issued its its bond like over pawn. I mean, there was like every time we have this like the first time that happens, right? So, I mean, initially I was even happy that like a noun was used as collateral, but now with like the, what Nation Tree has shown is that well, you can use pawn as essentially a way to issue these convertible notes if you are a DAO. So it doesn't even have to be like a single user; it doesn't have to be an individual, right? But like you can even use this on this like DAO institutional level for useful things. Now, recently, uh, the fact that Avagachis are using uh, the the Abigachi community are using the the Gachis locked in the Gachi Vault, which basically does the betting for them. But then these receipts are used as collateral. That's also like pretty pretty interesting case, and it I, exactly follows this like GameFi uh, fi aspect, right? Like this is a productive thing that people are using, but now they actually figured, well, there is an opportunity for a lending market to be created around those. So. Yeah, I guess th- these are the two from the, the most interesting parts. Last week, from kind of the, you know, like worth mentioning ones, there is definitely the, uh, I think, it actually the largest people nft back deal that did happen upon, which is also like a funny NFT on its own. And that one is interesting because we actually had a, there was this like article published published last January, I think, which mentioned the proposition of like hey this would be possible and now i'm excited because it actually happened <laughs> so uh, i think it was taken more as a joke but it was a million dollars uh, lended against that particle nft which I, I think is kind of crazy you know like really shows you the fact that well these assets will be able to even secure a mortgage for for like a flat purchase or a house purchase in a foreseeable future
0: yeah, I wish I, I read, you know, this mainstream media headline, like someone borrowed quarter million dollars to the owner of a dick milking factory NFT. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> this <laughs> looks like a banger. So, <laughs> okay, so, so I'm wondering, you know, what has been, you know, the hardest trade-offs that you had to make so far? Because as you said, on one hand, you keep it very open. But I guess there are some trade-offs and hard decisions that you have to make.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think I tackled on on a bunch of these. Uh, I'm not sure if I would like them, like h- hardest trade-offs, but these are definitely trade-offs that we had to, you know, had to discuss and like actually decide uh, about them. So one of which is well, this like openness versus focusing on a super narrow niche. Where we obviously took the approach of openness. There is a trade-off on architecturally. At least like temporarily utilizing like third parties instead of doing this like completely in a decentralized manner and allowing like self kind of sufficient frontends to operate as well. Currently, that's not possible, but it's again, definitely something that's in our pipeline somewhere once we actually, you know, make it to the point where when this, this will become possible for us, even technically. And I don't think there were like any super hard trade-offs. It was actually pretty clear in terms of the, the values alignment and what we actually want to build as a company.
0: Okay. And I'm wondering, like, if you were not building Pwn, what would you build?
1: I guess I would stay within 2 Foundation because it was still super exciting space to be in. And you get to work with like super bright and motivated people. So that's that's definitely a nice, nice environment to stay in. I guess I'll also spend much more time just maintaining the Bordell hackerspace in Prague. And yeah, I even had a thought of actually starting like a branch of Nepolis in Zurich, in Switzerland. So I guess if I had the time, these things would be, would be the focus. Okay. And as you worked in
0: Ethereum Foundation, I guess you have seen quite many crypto projects (laughs) so i'm wondering like what has been something that blew your mind or was like super inspiring
1: to see yeah i I guess like these things even go beyond ef but there is i don't know things like maker you know like the the defining the, the paradigm defining moments when you actually see the first very theoretical case being put into practice and actually work so I guess like Maker was actually one of the obviously after Ethereum was one of the major like discoveries that literally it changed my opinion about something, right? That, that actually made me realize like what is possible or even I think good example. I actually mentioned it recently in one of the Twitter spaces like pull together is also a super nice project in terms of showing that DeFi and smart contracts can enable something wasn't possible before. So these, these types of things, I wonder, like, obviously, you know, cases like, or then, then, the, then the story cases, like something like Uniswap, you know, like thing that started as a, as a EF grant and turned into this ultimate, like, challenger of all, like, centralized exchanges. That just a story I, I want to witness, right? Like, I want to be here as, like, something I, I want to I keep witnessing in, in the next decades.
0: Yeah, yeah, and, and the story of like yeah. Hayden that well, where he met Vitalik and he has shown his code on mobile phone, and Vitalik just crawled through and said like, "Yeah, yeah, it makes sense." Have you considered writing it in Viper? And he was like, <laughs> like uh, the, and, and then Hayden just like learned Viper and just re- rewrote the whole code. I mean, the, the story behind doing its what is is really fascinating. So you know, if you had um, Magic wand and could fix one thing about Web3. What would you fix?
1: Hmm. Because if that if there was only one thing, then I guess like especially in in this day and age, obviously the bear market helps with that a lot. But I would just make all the grifters disappear, because that's that's one of the most annoying things about Web3 is is kind of like how many people you get to meet especially in the times of the of the largest like hypes that obviously are here for very obvious and and very simplistic reasons and i'm not you know it's natural i'm not saying that they are like somewhat undeserving but it's it's sometimes it's just like i guess like draining motivation when you see you know all these like grassroots builders and people who just don't do this with the primary target of like making money and uh, actually want to create someone something that's that's changing the paradigm that's like moving us towards a fair world. And then every three years you have this like group of dudes that just show up to conferences and to developer conferences even and tell you about money making thing and it's just yeah it's just like gets annoying but like now you know it's hard to complain about this because like we're in the bear market again so things kind of cleared out to a large extent
0: yeah yeah you know i kind of feel that there's less distraction now like in bull markets I was like looking at Twitter because there was this heavy FOMO because of all the opportunities but also because of all the distractions but right now you know it's so quiet there apart from some SBF threads. like it, it's super quiet so you can just focus on building and just don't care about this crap so <laughs> th- this is really
1: cool. Yeah. And I'm not I'm not saying I'm not saying, you know, like making making profits like in crypto is is bad. There is a lot of lot of useful stuff that can be like funded with the money or it's even just like if someone does it as a business, that's fine. But then I feel like there was a disproportion of of the people at certain times where it was like really annoying and that wasn't part of the ecosystem. I think like people will be just uh, overall happier.
0: Yeah. and And also they bring a lot of bad press because, you know, they get covered in the media. So Joseph, I have two, two last questions. So the first one is where people should go if they want to learn more about Pawn. Oh yeah, thanks about that.
1: Definitely the website. So pwn.xyz, it's it's our Twitter, uh, PawnDAO. You can also find like links on the website to our Discord. We are hosting onboarding sessions. We are jumping on community AMAs with our projects as well. So please engage there. Reach us out over, over Discord or Twitter. And as, as I mentioned, like we are still in the discovery phase. So, if you have input, if you have ideas, if you wanted to contribute somehow, please let us know. Uh, if you if you think what what we are building is a complete BS, let us know as well. Like we want to know why. We want to know like what what do you feel like we should change design wise. And uh, yeah, again, like we are building this for the crypto native industry and for crypto native. So if you feel like you could utilize what we built so far, please get in touch and we'll be happy to even show you how things are, are used and so on. Okay, uh, thanks for that. So the
0: last question, Joseph, do you have any idea for a next guest, someone that I might talk with that might be uh, some builder that might share their story and talk about their project?
1: I mean, there's uh, now, now coming up with the names, but uh, well, definitely. I mean, like one of my favorite people, like in the space, Mario Havel from DEF, part of the Protocol Support Group. He's a super resource for uh, builder. And Tomash from from Nethermind, maybe could be also interesting. Uh, Lefteris uh, building Rothke, uh, uh Jared Ho from Status. Uh, yeah, uh, I guess I guess these, but I can <laughs> I can send you a list later on. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> So, Joseph, like, thanks a lot.
0: I know that you are in quite a rush. So and I'm also preparing for the World Cup game between Brazil and Croatia. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks a lot for this conversation. And, you know, see you see you somewhere. And I will definitely I tried using pawn. No one accepted my offer yet, but maybe
1: the next time I will be uh, more lucky. Awesome. Well, check it out. Definitely, definitely ping us on Discord. See if we, we can get your, your case promoted somehow. <laughs> okay. Thanks a lot. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks, thanks a lot for the invite. Have a great one. So
0: this is almost the end,
1: but if you like this
0: episode and don't want to miss the next ones, feel free to subscribe. If you liked it a lot, I'd be personally grateful if you could give us a five-star review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or whatever platform you use. Thanks to these ratings, more people can learn about web-free talks, and it's really important to me. That's all for today. Thanks for listening,
1: and see you next time.